This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Returning to Eden is a book by Heather Hamilton for people who resonate with aspects of Christianity but struggle with the coherence of its claims. After having a mystical experience that shattered her evangelical beliefs, Heather Hamilton found herself on the journey that every true spiritual seeker ultimately takes. The highest truths that set us free are hidden in places that most people are not looking. Returning to Eden re-examines the Bible stories of childhood and opens them up as symbolic maps into the inner world. Stories like Jonah and the Whale, the parting of the Red Sea, Noah's Ark, and the Virgin Birth are illuminated with penetrating depth and intellectual integrity. Faith is no longer a white-knuckled grip on implausible beliefs, but a relaxation into a deep inner knowing. You can purchase Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton at Amazon.com or at ReturningToEden.com. Hey, this is December Rose, and I take my coffee the way I take my theology. Strong, hot and eye-opening. That's why I love the Second Cup with Keith Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I am your host, Keith Giles, and um, let me start off by telling you a little story, and then you tell me, stop me, if you've heard this before, okay? So what if I were to tell you that there was an ancient religion, and then there um, there was a figure that was born of a virgin named Mary, had a stepfather named Joseph. And what if I told you that this God was born in a cave? Uh, His birth was announced by an angel. Uh, There was a star in the sky. There were shepherds there. At the age of 12, uh, there was a special rite of passage that he went through. Um, But the, the, the texts, the ancient texts, are silent about his life between the ages of 12 and 30. But at the age of 30, uh, he was baptized in a river. The one that baptized him was later beheaded. Uh, He ended up with 12 disciples, he performed miracles, Uh, he cast out demons, he raised people from the dead, he walked on water, Um, and people started calling him things like uh, the Holy Child, or the Son of God, or the Son of Man. Uh, He delivered a sermon on a mount, and uh, his followers wrote down his sayings. Uh, He was on top of a mountain and was transfigured. Eventually, though, he was was, uh, crucified between two thieves, buried. Three days later, in a tomb, rose from the dead. And uh, to this day, uh, many of those who know about him and follow him call him the way and the truth, the light, the Messiah, uh, Son of God, Son of Man, Good Shepherd, etc. Um, and you would say, well, yeah, Keith, I have heard that before. That's Jesus. Well, um, there are people that would tell you that sequence exactly as I just told you, but then want to uh, convince you that, oh, no, see, that's not Jesus. That's the Egyptian God. Horus. And I've seen memes of this being shared around social media. Sometimes it's even in a grid and it'll uh, take a few bullet points and it'll say, uh, it'll say Horus and it'll say, you know, born of a virgin on December 25th, uh, had 12 disciples, uh, baptized, uh, walked on water, crucified, rose from the dead, etc. And then, but then it'll say similar things for other uh, Egyptian gods or ancient deities like Mithras or Osiris or Krishna or things like that. And their, uh, their point seems to be, uh, to undermine, uh, Jesus, right? To under, undermine the story of Jesus, uh, by saying, look, uh, there's all these incredibly, you know, similar, uh, non-coincidental connections between Jesus and 
uh, Osiris or Horus or Mithras or Krishna or these other people, right? And and the point is, of course, to undermine Jesus and to say, see, Jesus is made up. All those things about Jesus that you were told, they're all borrowed and stolen and copied from these other ancient uh, religions. And therefore, uh, you know, you shouldn't take Jesus seriously. Well, um, <clears throat> this uh, this podcast is only an hour. So I'm only going to look at specifically the, the claims of similarities between Horus and Jesus. But if you guys would like me to, uh, let me know, because I, I could easily do an, an entire episode debunking uh, the connections between the claimed connections between Jesus and Mithras, or Jesus and Osiris, or Jesus and Krishna, um, but it would take a, it would take probably a whole episode for each one of them because there are so many claims that are made of the connections between Jesus and these other uh, ancient deities that it'll take way more than you know five or ten minutes to go through them. So uh, I'm just going to start with Horus, and if nothing else, this episode can stand as an example. If you're curious. Uh, about the other ones, whether or not I decide to later on do an episode on each of them. Uh, I want you to know that as you start to go through this and I show you the differences, or I start debunking the supposed connections and differences between Horus and Jesus, I want you to keep in mind um, these are the same types of things that you would see if you were to look at Mithras or Osiris or Krishna or things like that. Um, in other words, what you're going to start to notice is that Number one, um, the best way to debunk those claims would be, for example, like in the case of Horus, uh, to just go and ask an Egyptologist. Like anyone who actually knows Egyptology, anyone who has actually studied Horus, would immediately tell you, no, none of those claims about Horus are true, or or they are exaggerations, or um, you know, uh, somebody doing their best to. Uh, to phrase it in such a way that it kind of does, but really, truly doesn't actually do that. And then I'll also just give a plug, if you're really, really interested in this, um, there are two, I think each video is over an hour long, um, There, but there, it's excellent. Uh, there's a lecture series called Zeitgeist Refuted. Um, it's called Zeitgeist Refuted because there was a documentary, which maybe you, some of you have seen uh, on YouTube, came out like, I think like almost 10 years ago, uh, maybe more, but uh, it was a documentary called Zeitgeist, Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T, Zeitgeist. Um, and this documentary is an entire documentary doing this exact same thing, like trying to say, look, look at Osiris, look at Horus. And I had a friend, the way I came across it was a friend of mine, a guy I used to work with. He and his wife had watched it and he came to work one day and he was just gushing about it. Like, oh my gosh, Keith, did you know that there's all these other gods and ancient deities that um, that were just like Jesus, and then this proves that Jesus was made up and it was completely fabricated. So that's when I started looking into it. I came across uh, my friend Steve Gregg. He's an excellent Bible teacher. Um, he and I don't agree on everything. I just want to give you a caveat there. Uh, he would probably consider me a heretic, to be honest, uh, at least on certain things. But nevertheless, uh, I love Steve. I've known him for a while. He's been to my house a couple times uh, back in the day. And um, and when it comes to things like this, he has done some of the best work I've ever seen uh, refuting point by point, just really taking the time to do this. So if you really want to get into it after you listen to this episode, of course, um, go to YouTube and just search Steve Gregg. It's G-R-E-G-G. -G. 
it's his last name, two G's at the end, Steve Gregg and uh, Zeitgeist refuted parts one and two. Uh, and again, check that out if you're really, really curious about this topic. But for this episode, let's just look at the supposed claims between uh, the Egyptian god Horus and Jesus. Okay? Um, so I guess we'll start with the first claim. The first claim is that Horus was conceived by a virgin whose name was Mary. Now it was spelled M-E-R-I, not M-A-R-Y. <clears throat> but of course it's pronounced the same way, right? Uh, and uh, that had a, he had a stepfather whose name was Seb, but then they say, well, Seb is a form of Joseph. Okay, maybe it is. Uh, but here's the, here's the truth, okay? If you go look in Egyptology, if you go and study, and just, you know, truthfully, go to Wikipedia and search Horus, H-O-R-U-S, and look at the entry about Horus, and you will see, uh, no, Horus was not conceived of a virgin. In fact, it was Isis, not Mary, uh, who was technically uh, his mother. And um, yeah, it, it's, it wasn't really a virgin birth the way you and I would describe a virgin birth. So for example, um, and pardon me here, I'm going to get a little technical. So supposedly Isis hovered over the erect penis uh, of Osiris to conceive Horus. So uh, she may have been a virgin before the conception, but she certainly employed the penis of a male god to conceive Horus. Uh, so, um, and then she she had another son with Osiris uh, as well uh, at, a, at a later time, according to the legend, right? So there is no evidence um, that there were three wise men uh, who attended the birth of Horus or showed up at any time after uh, Horus. That is just not there. There is nothing. No references at all to three wise men. Seb was actually uh, the earth god, and he was not Horus's earthly father, and he is not the equivalent of Joseph. And uh, in most cases, anywhere you would look, uh, Seb is actually described as the father of Osiris, not the father of Horus. Um, the idea that um, Horus was born in a cave, that his birth was announced by an angel, uh, that his birth was uh, prefigured, you know, uh, predicted by a, a star in the sky, and that there were shepherds there. Okay, there's no reference again. Go and look it up. No reference to a cave, no manger uh, in the birth story of Horus. None of those details are present in the ancient Egyptian stories of Horus. Truthfully, uh, according to the legend, uh, Egypt, according to Egyptology, Horus was born in a swamp, not a cave, and uh, there was no angel, and there's no star. So, that is not true. Basically, it, you, again, you're going to notice, all these claims that are made, uh, they're absolutely nonsense. They're either very tenuously connected to something that, mm, you know, you're trying really hard to connect this to Jesus like the quote-unquote virgin birth, um, or they're just claims that are, there's just no, there's nothing to correlate at all, right? No cave, it's a swamp, and no mention of an angel and no star, and no shepherds and no wise men, right? The claim, the, the claim sometimes you'll see is that Horus attended a special rite of passage at the age of 12, uh, and that there was no data on his life from the ages of 12 to 30. 
just like Jesus, right? Well, the truth is there's no, <laughs> there, there is no continuous sort of history of Horace in his life uh, whatsoever for not just the, the ages of 12 to 30, but any of the years of his life, like from birth to death. Uh, so there's no gaps in the chronology. There just isn't one. And by the way, Horace never taught any kind of a temple uh, the way Jesus did. Again, the, the meme that I've seen claims Horace was baptized in a river at the age of 30 and that his, the one that baptized him was later beheaded. Okay, so again, I welcome you to go and uh, use an encyclopedia, go to Wikipedia online, just Google the life of Horace or the myth of Horace and, and scan it and notice that there is no mention whatsoever of him ever being baptized. Never. The word baptized is not there. Um, now, sometimes the, you will see uh, the claim that there was a character named Anup. He was called Anup the Baptizer. And they say that later on he was beheaded. But uh, there, that person does not show up in the, uh, in the mythology of Horus. So that person may have existed, but there is no connection between Horus and that person. Again, I see this one all the time, not just about Horus, but about other, uh, other figures that Horus had 12 disciples. So, um, again, uh, consulting the story of Horus and the mythology of Horus, we see that he had a total of four disciples. Uh, they were called the Hiru Shimsu. And, uh, at some point in the story of Horus, there is the reference to 16 followers. Um, and then it's also later mentioned there's a group of followers, just, you know, in general, uh, who join him in battle. Something, by the way, Jesus never did. Jesus never went into battle, but I digress. But in the case of the battle and the followers that join Horus in battle, there's no number. So it could have been 20, 100, 500, we don't know. But again, the number 12, specifically, the, the notation that there were 12 disciples of Horus, nope, not there. Um, another claim that Horus performed miracles, that he cast out demons, that he raised people from the dead, that he walked on water. Um, well, yeah, in one sense, sure, Horus was a god uh, in Egyptology. And uh, so, yes, he certainly performed what you might call miracles. However, uh, if you were to read an account of the miracles of Horus, you'll notice that he never cast out a demon. Uh, he never raised anyone from the dead. And there is no specific reference to Horus walking on water. So, no, there is no evidence of that. Horus did not walk on water, raise anyone from the dead, or cast out any demons. Um, the idea that Horus was called uh, the ever-becoming son, or the holy child, or the child of God. Uh, truth is, no one in Egypt history ever called, uh, was ever called that. That word doesn't exist. Uh, sometimes they'll use the word Lusa, which is supposed to mean uh, the Son of God or the ever-becoming Son or the, the Eternal Son. Um, that word doesn't exist. And so no one was ever called that. Not just Horus, but no one in Egyptian history ever. Um, the claim that Horus delivered a sermon on the mount and his followers recounted his sayings and that he was transfigured on top of a mountain. Uh, you can probably guess what I'm going to say. No, no. No, there is no mention of a sermon on a mount. Uh, there is no mention that his followers wrote down his sayings, and there was no mention that he was transfigured on top of a mountain. 
Was Horace crucified between two thieves, buried for three days, and in a tomb and resurrected? Well, well, you can probably guess, no. (laughs) In fact, uh, if you go and look at Egyptology and study, look at Horace, you'll see that he never died at all. There's no mention of him dying at all. So there's no crucifixion story. Uh, Horus is usually described uh, as eventually merging with another god, uh, which is Ra or Re, the sun god. And after which he, he sort of, it says he dies and is reborn. Yes, but he does that every day because he's connected to the sun god. The sun god uh, dies every night when the sun goes down and is reborn every morning when the sun rises over and over and over again. So that is not a parallel to the story of Jesus. Jesus died once and resurrected once. He didn't do it every single day over and over and over again. So there's a, there is a, there's another story that does describe Horace's death and it talks a little bit about, um, how he was cast into, he was cut into pieces and thrown into the water. But later he was fished out, uh, I think by a crocodile. Uh, uh, Isis ordered the crocodile to go and gather the pieces of Horus that had been cut up and he was put back together again, kind of like uh, Mr. Potato Head. So, um, yeah, again, not, not, um, not like Jesus. So the claim is also that Horus was called the Way or the Messiah or Son of Man, Good Shepherd, Lamb of God, all those kind of terms. And again, uh, what you will find is that none of those titles are found in Egyptian history. Uh, Now, Horus is called by names that almost any and every god might have been called, which would have been the Great God or, uh, you know, the Chief god or the master of the heavens or things like that but those are pretty common terms that almost any god would have probably uh received honorifics they would have received um horus was not called the christ or the christ uh sometimes they'll say that he was called the christ the k-r-s-t um that word that word uh is an egyptian word that means burial so it's not a title at all like you wouldn't call someone the burial now, you might find that word, cursed, K-R-R, Christ, K-R-S-T, but it wouldn't be a title. It would not, oh, he's the Christ. No, the word means to be buried. So, not a title. And not Christ. There's no connection between the K-R-S-T word, Egyptian word for burial, and the later word, uh, the Greek word for Christ. Um, sometimes they'll say that Horus was also associated with fish or lambs or lions. So. Again, these conspiracy theorists will sometimes associate Horus with fish uh, by virtue of the fact that Horus was a fish at some portion in some versions of the Egyptian story. Um, But there was no evidence Horus was ever called a fisher because he was a fish. Again, in certain versions of the story. And he was never, ever uh, connected to any ideas of being or called uh, the lion or the lamb, because uh, it was a fish. And then, of course, later became merged with the sun god. Uh, kind of crazy, huh? Complicated stuff. All right, let's keep going. Um, there is sometimes a claim that Horus came to fulfill the law. 
and that he was uh, supposed to, it was prophesied he would reign for a thousand years. So let's just point out there is no Egyptian law for anyone, Horus or otherwise, to fulfill, and there is no mention of a thousand year reign of anyone in Egyptian mythology. Um, so that's just some quick kind of rundowns there, right? Like, so no, uh, Horus really, it, it's just nonsense. So when you see those memes, please, the next time somebody shares that, please just let them know that according to Egyptology, according to any, any entry on the life of Horus, not a single one of those things is true. Horus and Jesus have no overlap and they are not similar. I think I got some time. Let's try to hit Mithras too, okay? Um, and I think this will probably do it. I can't imagine I would have to do another one other than this. Uh, I think I think if you want to go any deeper than the, this and, and, and debunk some of these um, claims and these false connections between Jesus and other ancient gods or figures, um, I recommend you, again, just go check out Steve Gregg's excellent two-part Zeitgeist Refuted videos on YouTube, and you will have more than enough uh, to uh, to debunk that and answer all of those all those questions. So, uh, so let's look at Mithras. Um, similarly, uh, the claim is that Mithras was born of a virgin on December twenty fifth in a cave, and that there were shepherds. Um, I should probably point out before I jump into the comparisons between debunking that claim about Mithras. I should probably start off by saying that, you know, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus was born on December 25th. Uh, in fact, the, the idea that Jesus was born on December 25th is something that happened much later, that added was added much, much later, like hundreds of years later, uh, to the story of Jesus. The Bible, the scriptures, the Gospels never say Jesus was born on December 25th. And I think actually uh, what I've heard is that historians have, had the, the, by you know, sort of reconstructing the details that are in the Gospels have determined he was probably born sometime in the summer, like June or July or something like that. So sorry, you know, I know we all love Christmas and we all love the manger scene and we all love the little plays where Mary and Joseph are, you know, trudging through the snow. But no, that didn't happen. Uh, anyway, so let's look at Mithras. So was Mithras born of a virgin? Uh, well, it's what it, the legend of Mithras says that he was actually born out of solid rock. Not of a virgin, unless you think rocks or mountains, I guess technically they're virgins, right? I mean, mountains don't engage in sexual intercourse. So, okay, yeah, I mean, if if, if Mithras is born out of solid rock, that's probably a virgin rock. But, but no one would call that a virgin, okay? You're either born out of a rock or you're born out of a person. So that that doesn't make sense. That doesn't connect. There is no connection there between Mithras and Jesus. On that respect, was his birth celebrated on December 25th? Well, uh, Mithras were th those who worshipped Mithras and uh, later Christians. They did borrow that date, December 25th, uh, but from the winter solstice. So again, the Bible doesn't connect the birth of Jesus to December 25th. Later on, that became a popular date to celebrate the birth of either Jesus or Mithras, but again, that's something that happened much, much later. Well, some of the one of the earliest versions of the Mithras narrative includes shepherds, but that notation, this is important. This this uh this idea that uh there were shepherds at the birth of Mithras 
uh, it shows up a hundred years after the New Testament was written. So it seems more more like Mithras might have borrowed the shepherd thing from from the Gospels and uh, <clears throat> and not the other way around, right? Okay, uh, there's also the idea that Mithras was a great teacher who traveled and, uh, you know, traveled around teaching and, and doing things like that. So there, the true tradition story of Mithras uh, really doesn't even say he was a teacher at all. And uh, so, yeah, that just isn't really there. Uh, did Mithras have 12 companions or disciples? Well, again, just looking at it, there is no evidence. That he had um, any, that he had exactly specifically twelve disciples. Um, some people think that this idea that he had twelve disciples came from a mural that was painted. Uh, so it's just not connecting any of the writings. But there was a there's a mural, a single one, a mural uh, that shows Mithras surrounded by twelve signs. But it's it's closer to like the zodiac. You know what I mean? Um, so in other words, like. There, there's Mithras, and then around him are these twelve figures. One of them's the moon. One of them's the sun. Uh, and by the way, that painting also is something that uh, was, you know, hundreds of years after uh, Jesus. So, like, this is a post-Christian uh, painting. So, if there is any connection, it's not it's not Christian stealing from Mithras. It's the other way around, right? Um. Did Mithras promise his followers immortality? That's one of the claims. Um, well, there is no specific evidence. Like, no one can point to some sort of a saying or a scripture where Mithras specifically says this. But again, gods quite often, all gods, kind of promise some kind of afterlife, uh, you know, uh, life in heaven eternally, all that kind of thing, right? Uh, that isn't something unique to Jesus. Uh, so that part's Eh. Again, no specific evidence for it, but it wouldn't be uncommon uh, for that to be worked into the theology or the story uh, of Mithras. Um, did Mithras perform miracles? Uh, that part is true. But again, similar to the previous one, uh, you can't be a god and not perform some kind of miracle. That's sort of the sign, right? One of the claims about Mithras is that he sacrificed himself, that he died uh, to save the world or to bring peace to the world. Well, um, the Mithric narrative says that Mithras was killed, um, well, he, he, he killed a bull, and it was sort of a heroic deed. In fact, it's one of the central things about the story of Mithras is him killing this bull. So the bull died, but Mithras didn't die, and I, there's no evidence that he killed that bull to sort of save the world or bring peace or something like that. So, yeah, no. Uh, but let's get down to the more specific ones. Like, was Mi was Mithras buried in a tomb, and did he rise again three days later? Right, uh, and then sometimes they'll add on, they'll tack on the idea that uh, that the resurrection was celebrated. Uh, his resurrection was celebrated around the time of Easter. Okay, so uh, looking at Mithraism or the story of Mithras uh, again. Big shocker here. There's no sh there's no evidence that he died at all. So he didn't die. In other words, there's no there's no death story connected to Mithras. There's no uh, burial because he didn't die 
and therefore there's no resurrection. Now, some people will say, well, you know, Tertullian, who was one of the early Christian church fathers, uh, he, in one of his writings, he refers to uh, to the followers of Mithras reenacting some sort of resurrection um, scenes, you know, or in having like a resurrection sort of a ceremony in their worship services. But we have to keep in mind again that he wrote this long after the the writing of the New Testament. And um, it seems that the pattern that we see with followers of Mithras is that the followers of Mithras, uh, as time went on, they seem to be borrowing more and more from the story of Jesus. So, for example, we've already talked about the, the shepherds at the birth. Well, that, that detail came along much, much later, 100 years later. Um, this idea of having a resurrection scene, that came much, much later. So if there's any copying going on specifically with myth between Mithras and Jesus, it's the it's the followers of Mithras who are borrowing from Jesus, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Was Mithras called the Good Shepherd? Or was he ever connected to this idea of a lamb or a lion? Again, big shock. No. They're studying the Mithras tradition. Uh, he is never given the title of Good Shepherd. He's never called a lamb or the Lamb of God. Um, Similar to Horus, uh, Mithras is more of like a sun god, or later on it becomes more like, you know, attributed to, to being like a sun god. And so because of that, there was some sort of an association with uh, the Zodiac uh, oh, Leo. And um, so you could say in that sense he was associated with a lion, but the lion he was associated with wasn't like the lion of the tribe of Judah or lion of God. It was a zodiac sign. Uh, and by the way, too, like all the other things we've said, that association uh, with Leo and the lion came long after the time of Jesus and the writing of the New Testament scriptures. Let's see. Was Mithras considered to be the way, the truth, and the life? Or the Logos, or the Redeemer, or the Savior, or the Messiah? Again, all I've seen memes that say all those different things. Um, so based on, again, studying the Mithraic religion and story and tradition none of those terms were ever applied to Mithras in the worship of Mithras so no, the answer is no uh, Mithras celebrated uh, his Sunday as uh, the sacred day or the Lord's day so, uh, so here's the thing the tradition of celebrating Sunday uh, that's something that only happened later again, much much later uh the followers of Mithras in Rome did that. Again, uh, as again, the pattern, that that started to happen only a few hundred years after the New Testament and, and Jesus and all that. And so again, it seems that what's happening was followers of Mithras thought, hey, those Christians are celebrating their God on Sunday. Why don't we do that too? So uh, it seems that the connections between Mithras and Jesus, and they're very uh, minimal, uh, seem to be coming from the Mithras side of the things, not on the Christian side of things. Does that make sense? So, I guess that's enough for this episode. Just to say, I think you get the, I think you understand what I'm saying. And so, uh, you could do the same thing when you see comparisons between Jesus and Osiris. Just go and look at Osiris. Go, go. Go find a, a book in your library on Egyptian deities, right, or Egyptian gods, uh, and just read it. 
I mean, that's that's probably the best thing to do. If you if you are curious whether or not there's some connection between uh, if those memes are right, right? Those people, by the way, they're typically atheists who are trying to debunk Jesus by saying, "Look, Jesus is just like Osiris or Mithras or Horus or whoever," right? Um, yeah, it's easy to refute it by just simply grabbing a book or going online and doing doing some research, um, not coming from like not looking at a source that is intentionally trying to debunk Jesus, but go look at a source that is trying to tell you the truth about Horus, that is trying to teach you who was Mithras, who is trying to say to you, this was Osiris. So, right, someone who is an expert on Egyptology or who's an expert on those ancient gods and deities from a historical perspective, who have studied those religious figures, um, and read that. So that's the so that's going to be your unfiltered, unbiased source. Okay, and the, and this is the thing. Once you do that, well, no, they don't mention December twenty fifth. They don't mention a virgin birth. They don't mention a crucifixion or a resurrection or a burial. They don't mention the shepherds. They don't mention all of these things that that you're being told. So, bottom line, when you see those memes, it's nonsense. It's it's a flat out lie. There is no, you know, uh, overwhelming connection between the story of Jesus and these other deities and gods. I had to do an episode on this. It was just bothering me so much. I've seen it for so long. And it's one of those things where, like I said, I first came across it like 10 years ago. And then, and then doing my, trying, trying to look into it myself. Uh, well, I already knew Steve Gregg, uh, found out that Steve Gregg, had done taken the time to record these very long lectures uh, where he debunked it, you know, went through exhaustively and debunked it. And then, you know, I shared it with my friend at work who was asking those questions, who was swayed by that and said, look, actually, this isn't true. And, um, and over the years now and again, when it's popped up, you know, I've just sent friends of mine who posted that. I'll, I'll just send the link to the zeitgeist refuted videos that Steve Gregg did, or, you know, Go grab something from uh, the story of Mithras or the story of Horus or Osiris or whoever and just say, look, actually, no, that isn't true. According to people who really do study these things and have made it their you know, doctorates, uh, having studied this history of these other ancient gods and deities, uh, they are the ones who will tell you that this is nonsense. So, and again, uh, it's just, it's a little frustrating, you know, to like, it just won't go away. It doesn't die. And I think it's because it's just too easy to see a meme, read it, and if it's brand new to you and you never, you haven't really looked into it and you've never seen it before, it can rattle you, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Look at this, everybody. Can you believe this? Uh, and the answer is you shouldn't believe it. It isn't true. It's absolute nonsense. It's really a, like atheistic propaganda. It's It's, you know, look, there are plenty of things if you want, if you want to argue about something and you want to, you know, so you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Jesus. Okay, well, let's let's just start about what it is you don't believe about Jesus, right? Maybe you can't believe in the miracles. Maybe you have a hard time accepting the resurrection. Maybe you have a hard time accepting the miracles. Okay, well, then let's just talk about that. Let's Let's deal with that on its own terms for what it is. But to kind of go through who, I don't know who it was that started this whole thing, uh, I don't know for sure that the 
the people that started this Zeitgeist documentary are the ones who created this nonsense. Maybe maybe it's been around for a long time. That probably it probably is something where I'm sure someone at some point a long time ago probably wrote a book, right? Because this is the kind of thing that if you wrote a book about it, you could probably sell a bunch of books, you know. And if you if you're very selective about the data, or if you twist the data, or if you misrepresent the data, or just flat out lie about it, uh, who's going to know, right? Wow, oh my gosh, I read this book. It's mind-blowing, man. Horus and Osiris and Mithras, you know, they all, they were all just like Jesus. Born of a virgin, uh, baptized in the river, uh, the baptizer was beheaded. Uh, they they were a great teacher. They were called the Lamb of God and the, and the Son of God, and they were crucified and tortured. And on the third day, they rose again. And like, um, wow, that would be amazing if it were true. Uh, but it's not true. It's not true. It's not not even close to being true. It's absolute nonsense. So anyway, I hope this episode is helpful to you. I hope it gives you a little peace of mind. So the next, if you have seen those uh, and you've not known what to do about it and you've thought, oh my gosh, is that true? And it's rattled your faith. Please, please take a deep breath. Rest easy. You're fine. It's not true. It's not even close to being true. Uh, I hope this, I hope this gives you a little peace of mind. And again, I, I recommend and welcome. If you want to go and look into it yourself, plenty of resources out there uh, that debunk this stuff. Hopefully this is one of those things too that will help anybody who has been rattled, has had their faith challenged by those claims. Uh, you can rest easy now that uh, it's, it's nonsense, totally made up. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Second Cup with Keith. I would really appreciate it if you could go and um, give me some ratings and reviews if you enjoy this podcast um, over on Apple Podcasts. Or I guess wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, you know, giving giving us good ratings, uh, writing a writing a nice review. Believe it or not, it really does help uh, with the algorithm, right? Of uh, helping people find this podcast. So, uh, and if you enjoy it, I'd just like to hear from you. It'd be really fun to hear from you. And if you have ideas or suggestions for upcoming episodes, please give me a shout out, send me a message, uh, mention it in the review because I will check out the reviews. Uh, and just let me know, you know, something you'd like to hear about in the future. What else can I say? Um, if you don't know, uh, I guess I should probably let you know. Uh, I do have a brand new book out called Solo Mysterium. It's, uh, has a forward by Dr. Steve McVeigh. It's called, uh, the subtitle is Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of Everything. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't checked that out, you should check it out. There's a lot of really, really cool stuff in that book that I think will help you to let go of certainty, uh, embrace the mystery of God, and uh, learn how to really get over your need to be right about everything, right? Learn how to hold loosely to your beliefs. Anyway, God bless you guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Take care.